Shop Maniacs. You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show podcast, all about front end web design and development. I'm Dave Rubin with me is Chris Coyer. Hey, Chris, hey how are you doing? dude. I'm doing pretty you know, good. I said front end every stinking week, but you and I have been kind of elbow deep in the old back end lately. So yeah. um, maybe we need to change the the the, the mantra, the, the intro to. Yeah. It's, I'm also like, but I actually know about front end development and I actually don't know anything about back end development. You do. It, it, I don't want to say nothing because I'm I've been around the web a long time and I end up touching that code and now I'm making a concerted effort to try to really put on that hat and I'm enjoying it. So yeah, we can talk about it, but I, I definitely can't. I definitely have to like put a big asterisk by the things I say about back end stuff because I don't I don't have a lifetime of experience to draw from there. No, and and I, you know it's funny in the d- 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 Discord, people are like, "Do you know of a, a back end podcast?" <laughs> like, you know, there's full stack. You know, um, I'm not gonna name names because we're kind of in competition with them. But the, um, <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, uh, I I think I listened to the change log, and that was kind of full stack. He kind of had some Rails beginnings and stuff, and so I, you know, I I'm trying, but I was trying to like, man, is there really Rails bytes used to be one too I'd listen to, but is there like a really good like, I don't know, just back end podcast like probably how, how to maximize your Stripe account <laughs> or you know like what what I don't know is there something like that you know so yeah I want, what's new in databases. Well, databases um, yeah. are hot right now. Can I can I go on a, a tangent here? You got yeah, you sure. got Superbase, you got Planet Scale, you got Prisma, you got uh I was doing some other there's this thing called Rill. I don't even know what Rill is, but Rill connects to DuckDB and you have so you go to oh. get Rill and uh in real con- or I think it was get real or real connects to duckdb what's a duckdb I don't know what a duckdb is but it makes charts and graphs for you and that was pretty cool I just we're in kind of a I feel like a heyday of like cool database technology snowflake uh and amazon dynamodb I don't know this stuff somebody does but um there's a lot of cool database tooling out there right now and there really is. You're right. There's a lot of that. I wonder if some of it is, I, I, I don't know what the origin of it is, but, but from a startup perspective, when you have someone's data, the churn is low. And if that was the only thing you cared about as a company is like, I want to get customers that pay money and don't churn. I'll tell you mm-hmm. what, putting having a data warehouse is a pretty freaking good idea. No. Yeah. I mean, data and files and I, customer identity, which I think I've just described the entire super base platform. So, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I just, there's, yeah, I think it's just a very cool world. Like database tooling has been kind of bad for a very long time. It's from the mm-hmm. like node world, right? Like rails had active record and it was awesome. Uh, and then people hated it for some reason, cause it was too awesome. And then, um, but but the database tooling right now I feel like is kind of like just getting so good. So there's also a you know not to mention like GraphQL, all this other infrastructure, uh, Fauna, Hasura, what all this stuff. Like there's there's all mm-hmm. these new tools to kind of interface with your data in in ways that so hot right now didn't exist 
five, ten years ago. So here's a couple other ones. Because remember, I I did my dumb thing about the edge and how the data usually isn't at the edge. Like there's a lot of stuff that's at the edge. Functions more and more. Uh, you know, key value. Uh, you know, all, all your static files. But less right. and less just your actual data, right? That's right. the thing that's got to go to a single origin server. And, uh, yeah, a little bit on that. Uh, there was a bunch of replies to my original blog post to a thing called fly.io, which looks pretty cool because I think you, you know, you host a bunch of stuff and then you say, like, and move it all to this other region, too. Like, it really helps... You know, their tagline is deploy app servers close to your users. So it doesn't matter what tech you're using. It will, like, pick up your stack and plop it down in a different region for you. So it helps make multi-region stuff good. Maybe not quite the edge, but at least you can do multi-region a lot easier with this, I guess. Which is pretty cool. And notably, when I wrote that, I was like, well, you know, there's always KV, which is Cloudflare's data storage thing that's that is actually edged out which i think Mm -hmm. is really cool and then what was it just last week two weeks ago they're like here's a new thing d1 which is sql Lite at the edge so that's pretty hot i think yeah yeah i mean they're steamrolling i mean and it's all the data stuff the key value gave way to sq Lite to you know we're we're there yeah, it's it's a good time for data. I uh, but uh, but that's uh, it's kind of back to what you're saying. Like once you got somebody's data, you got them forever as a customer. And I agree. Um, but like, I that I think that's what gets me on these tools. It's like I don't change my data structure too often. You know, I'm never like I'm. I, I'm never like, oh gosh, I really need an SQ Lite, but I just can't figure it out, you know. <laughs> like, oh, I need this one on the Cloudflare. I should use that, you know. So I guess my brain isn't like, man, I need a one-off database like today. Not that often, you know. So I'm curious how that. Yes, sort the of amount stuff... of customers you get is probably lower. I would, I would think, you know, you don't hello world a new database that much, you know, or if you do, you're like, well, that was interesting, but I'm not moving my entire world. So you got to get them right at that moment where they're really actually building something for production. The key value stuff seems very cool. Who was it? Uh, Andrew uh, in from the Discord, he has on his blog a little like counter so you click it and it'll like put a heart and it's there and it's persistent and it's based on you and you didn't have to log into his website um uh so pretty cool good blog post probably better than that but remember we even didn't me and you did a video on that (laughs) that's one of our yeah one of our shop dog videos was literally using workers in kv to to make a little counter blaster uh it's freaking easy (laughs) so no there's that well, and and it's so it was cool to see it like I know we talked about it kind of like theoretically, hey, here's something you could do, but in in like a production situation where it's like it's like it's running and it's not like aggressive. It doesn't bog down the page. It's just a fetch call to a web to a to a little worker that lives somewhere, you know? So Yeah. Well, it means you're. There are some caveats, and I, I hate to say easy like I just did because that's really relative. Uh, yeah, and yeah. I'm sure there's people listening to this that probably wouldn't find it so easy, but I mean, kind of easy comparative to setting up an SQL 
database to at least to me, you know, and oh, and buying yeah. a hosting for it and getting that all good and then building a REST API for it that increments it but does so in a efficient way and you know is eventually consistent and is and then not to mention the the edge thing, like it's one thing to spin up a MySQL database, but that does not at the edge, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which means so. lots of latency for Australia. Well, because he does, he has to get called to get the number of likes, you know. So, but now it's very fast. So, sure is eventually consistent. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Linode. That's L-I-N-O-D-E, Linode.com slash Shop Talk Show, who were voted the top infrastructure and service provider by both G2 and Trust Radius. Accelerate innovation with Linode's simple, affordable, accessible Linux cloud solutions and services. It's a web host. It's a good one. It's been around a long time. It's very affordable. It has awesome support. They do a great job. This is basically the gist of it. Build everything yourself or use plenty of Linode one-click apps to deploy everything from Plesk to WordPress to Valheim to Minecraft servers. Pretty rad, right? You don't even have to figure out how to do that. You just go boop. Oh, I have one now. That's great. Every plan comes with amazing human-powered customer support. If you need help, someone will pick up the phone, respond to your email, or reply to you on social media 24-7-365. That's an amazing promise. That's for all the plans. And aside from cloud hosting, Linode recently added GPU hosting plans for machine learning and neural net use built with RTX 6000 GPUs. Thanks, Linode. Y'all do a good job. Thanks for the support. Uh, let's see. Micah Mills here writes in, I've been doing front-end dev work for over a decade. Seen trends come and go. I like the idea of building with components. Heck yeah, Micah, so do I. It's going to be around a while. Not so sure about the JavaScript frameworks, though, you know, which I think is fair to say. I think I agree, Micah, the concept of components will outlive any particular framework. What's the state of just using native web components, and are they a viable solution for a production web app today? Yeah, we talk about web components a lot, but um, <laughs> just I guess Micah's just wondering if that's a good long-term bet, to which I'll say I think it is. Ooh, bold choice. Uh, I think so. I mean, I'm, of course going to say yes <laughs> subscribe yeah. on front end masters um <laughs> the so i i think yes uh, i think like what is maybe missing is a lot of web components is kind of like um this works in a multi-page app, like your Rails app or your Java app or whatever. Yeah, but you can also kind of do enough to get like the shoehorn in a, a single page app vibe, you know, uh, kind of more like your React flavor. I think there's maybe not enough tooling or information about how to do that successfully over like, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of views and templates. Um, there's a pretty cool tool from Open Web components open WC um, that is like a create react app for that. So you could kind of like wet your appetite with that. Um, But I just, that that's, I think what's missing from the framework, right? Like if, if you're like, how do I build a view app, a single page view app, dozens, thousands of articles, you know, how do I build a 
single page React app, you know, dozens, thousands of articles. There's a meta framework called Nuxt or Next that you should use for Vue. It's there's a meta framework, Nuxt. There's no meta framework for web components yet, is what I'd say. So, mm. um, and so, yeah. so there's not like it seems tried like a and good true, opportunity, doesn't it? Definitely. So there's not like, but there's just not tried and true like this gets you everything you need out of the box. I, I think right now that's that's what I'm gonna say. But um, I do think web components are part of the platform, and so they have an inherent advantage. So <laughs> in in their long maybe people would say like maybe if you got started using it or got started writing one of those, you'd be like, what What am I doing? Like, why don't I just why don't I just say Svelte is that? And then use web components in Svelte, you know, because what you because what you what you want to do is fill gaps, you know. You're like, well, I need a state thing, like, oh, they have that. I'll just use. <laughs> Why would I write one from scratch when these other frameworks do it so well? Honestly, Svelte is a pretty good web component generator because I think you just add like Svelte options web component <laughs> web component or something like that, and it's done. So I mean, nice. like. I can get the actual code, but um, let's see. Going to my super secret guidebook for my friend and And then you course. get everything Svelte House, oh, no. which that is doesn't... a robust set of stuff. My page is offline right now. Is Netlify down? So <laughs> What? DaveRupert.com is down? No, not no. for me. No, oh. my, secret, my secret URL for my <laughs> course book. I'll have to look into that. So, hmm. all right. That's uh, Panic. So okay, uh, so I but you know who guess who's using web components as an app? Photoshop. Oh like, yeah. So like big companies are using it. So I, I think like you can do it. I, I think it's totally absolutely possible. I, I I just think like the DX, if you want to say, is still probably on the side of these other tools, but but for long term. You know, if that's what you're really thinking, you're thinking, I'm going to write this app, but I don't want to rewrite it next year. Someday, React will die. I know that sounds crazy. It's so big. It's going to take a long time, but it, someday it won't be hot anymore. And then, and then there'll be this long period of where there's still plenty of stuff written in it. But, you know, like React's adoption compared to jQuery's adoption is nothing, right? I mean, it's just it's nowhere near that. I know that's complicated because it, it actually turns out that the the higher you get in the like most trafficked websites on the internet, the larger the chunk of React is. But like long tail, it's nowhere near. But you know, people don't you don't build new stuff in jQuery these days. It's 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 like finished, you know, and not because yeah. it's bad because that stuff moved to the browser and things like that will change in the future and. Uh, you won't be rewriting your app because you've written it in a native technology, whereas other people might be considering, like, oh, uh-oh, how are we going to unreactify this thing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. You know, this we were talking about backend stuff so much. We've also danced around TypeScript on the show because I don't think I feel like neither of us have a production TypeScript thing, or do you now? No, no, still not, not really. There. No. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm just curious because because in my there's no in you know if you're writing in JavaScript wh- whatever any of these frameworks you kind of have the option whether you're going to 
do TypeScript or not. And, and we're in this like place in the industry where all these tools like support it either way. Mm-hmm. No, you know, they'll just be like, oh, if you want, if you want TypeScript, do this. And if you don't do that, and it's fine, we support either way. All the build tools, all the, all the stuff supports it. And I think that's probably a smart move. There's some things that you don't do don't have a choice. I've been working with Go a lot. There's been every day in it. You don't have a choice. It's a typed language. It's typed, period. That's the deal, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. At the moment, from someone who has never worked in a type language ever, including TypeScript, I find it so weird. And I have, I've like right on this weird point where that, that everybody who's ever worked in a type language says there's like a tipping point or, or maybe you just started there. So it's your expectation. So when you come to JavaScript, well, you're like, what is this loosey goosey garbage? But people that started in a non type language and moved say there's some tipping point where you hit it and you're like, ah, yes, the comfort of types. This is much better now. I am, I'm not on either side yet. I'm like seeing the value of it, but I'm also spending no joke, most of my time dealing with types. Mm-hmm. So it's just, yeah. it's funky, you know? And and <laughs> I almost made a joke at the top of the show where I'm like, I should asterisk this thing. An asterisk in Go is a dereferencing a pointer. And you use pointers so flipping much in this language. Yeah. Constantly. Your code is full of ampersands, which are like, this thing is a pointer to this other thing, and then an asterisk to say, okay, I'm dereferencing that thing that is a pointer because I need its actual value now. And some of that makes sense. Like, if I call a function with a pointer, I'm like changing the thing that I'm pointing to, so I might not even need a return value or something. It can be kind of efficient because memory is shared. I'm not. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you don't use a pointer, you're passing a copy of that object over. Usually I'm not thinking about that because Go is so fast and efficient anyway that I'm like, I don't care about optimizing it. I mean, maybe we should for big time production stuff, but I'm usually not the guy in charge of that. So I don't care that much. Usually what I find though is that I'm not writing pointers because I'm worried about efficiency. I'm doing it because what a pointer can be, at least in Go, I'm not sure how it works in TypeScript, is it's either this type or nil. So if you say like, here's a thing and it's a bool, but it's not a pointer to a bool, it's just a bool. It is either true or false. It cannot be, it cannot not be defined. It has to be true or false. And it will initialize itself as false. But okay. like in programming, sometimes you need it to be like, oh, well, this started off as a piece of JSON and it's actually just not there. So it's not defined or something. Undefined things are like a part of programming in my yeah. world a lot. So you would have to make it a pointer to a bool. So that way it, it could either be nil or true or false. And I, I find it weird. Like I haven't, I haven't come to terms with the idea that this concept of pointers is like mostly used. It seems to me for that reason, and that that's not some separate language feature. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like the the um, extra equal sign sort of in JavaScript is, is yeah. sort of like, hey, it's this kinda... is real. Really check if it's this. Um, yeah, really, really, really check. <laughs> I mean, I, I like the idea of, like, in a programming language. One of the things I like, um, in theory, about Go um, is just, like, it makes you handle errors or whatever. But, it 
like I like the idea like you plug you're plugging it in and then you're pl- unplugging it at the end like you're like okay I'm done with that pointer like I want yep. this to always kind of match up to this thing but now I'm now let me back out now this can go away this association so um so yeah I don't no typescript I I I I had a you know some Angular projects um, where I got by with TypeScript, you know, like what I typed the right things to get through it, um, and then um, you know I recently I was I wanted to help out on this project that kind of needed to update some dependencies, and I pulled it down, and it's like all TypeScript. I tried to use it. I'm getting thousands of errors, and I haven't even started up the project, you know, and I just was like, I'm done. Like, this is so stupid. So anyway, I just, I, I, it wasn't a fun experience and I just don't, cause I don't have the mountain of tooling in place to make it do the correct, you know, it's not a free thing for me. So yeah. maybe we should read this question. Oh, it's a good point so. that Aaron is, Aaron Sturm here wrote in about wondering about that. I think it was about six weeks ago now, maybe more, where Microsoft dropped that blog post that says, hey, what if there was a type syntax in JavaScript? And I really don't blame them for attempting this because mm-hmm. they, you know, there's a lot of momentum, as they well know, for TypeScript. And there's just more and more people, thus, there's more and more people on Earth that are like, I get it. Types are actually good, you know? And so mm-hmm. why do we have to use a compiler to get types? Why, why can't it just be part of the language? Why can't there just be like an alternate JavaScript that's typed or something? And they're like, well, maybe it doesn't have to be an alternate JavaScript. Maybe JavaScript can just evolve to have types in it. And here's a, you know, at least kind of a baby step on the way. It was confusing. Lots of people had opinions about it. They said, oh, we'll just use comments, you know, like JS doc style to have it, which is not quite what they meant. Mm -hmm. There's still definitely some syntax in here that's not actually what you think of as a JavaScript comment with like slash star, star slash and stuff for inline comments. Mm -hmm. There's stuff that's just, it's it's generally a JavaScript parser will ignore it so it's taking advantage of that quirk so it's saying like let's say you have a function and it takes two parameters and they're both ints you could go you know first is an int Mm -hmm. second is an int but you use this colon syntax and then that somehow is ignored by javascript and thus could potentially work as the place where you declare types I don't know. I kind of hated this the first time I saw it. It felt disingenuous because it was like, yeah, but you can't leave your JavaScript like this. You're going to have to compile it to remove that extra crap because that's what we do as performance-focused web developers. So you're not really removing a build process. You haven't succeeded in the goal of this, in my opinion. Uh, But I've come to soften and and think that maybe just maybe this is a decent idea. I like this proposal. I I just, I like the, there was like a sense of like optionality to it. Like you can just do it by uh, comments or you can just add these little colon number things to the end of it. Um, I think they're like, you know, it's still not full blown types like custom types and, uh, and and stuff like that. So I, I'm sure that's like, 
another one of those things like it doesn't meet the full needs. But I think it is interesting if like this stuff can be kind of layered in. Um, right. And, and I, I, for me, I think it likes is two things. It's optional. So I don't have to do it if I don't want to, which is cool. Um, and, and then it, it's also gets out of the tooling. I think like what I was saying a little bit before was that my problem is this tool chain is blowing up on me. If I could just avoid that, that would be cool. So, um, yeah, so reducing tooling is a pretty noble goal, I think. I didn't realize that, yeah, no, no custom types is is tricky. I mean, of course there isn't here with this ba- really basic syntax. And they're just saying it's a baby step anyway. So maybe there is a way to do it. But I would say, you know, we got we started the show talking about databases. So what's a data structure? Oh, well, it's a blog post, so it's got a title and a date and an author and a content and all that kind of stuff. That's very likely going to end up as a type. You know, mm-hmm. if it's GraphQL, it's going to start off right away as a type in your mutations and queries. When it comes back, if you're using TypeScript, you'll probably make it a type. Certainly in this Go code I'm writing, and, and it's not, it's a custom type. It's a, this is a post type. And I think generally in type, I mean, this is a guess, but I would guess it's about 50-50. It's not like mostly primitives. If anything, yeah. it's mostly your custom types because they're more useful those are the things that you actually want to check. Yeah, like is this a user? Is this a blog post or something? It does look like in the full README that they have a straw man proposal. They do like have functions return a certain type, which I see as useful. Awesome. Right? Like, I, that's my like, favorite one, actually. Because I, I think that's a cool contract. Like it takes numbers right. and it returns because it's, true Now or you're false, typing through your data flows, which is what right. matters. Um, and so. And but then it does have like type declar custom type declarations for like a person with the name of a string and an age of a number, um, and boolean. But I, I mean, if these pieces showed up in JavaScript, I would use them. I, I think just straight up, you know. I, I realize there's probably some touchiness and yeah transpilation we'd have to do across browser, but I would I would use this stuff. I mean, it just seems. I think where I don't like it is like all the angle bracket crud, but you know, whatever. Like if if that's what it takes to get something working, that's fine. But that's funny. Um, all your all these JavaScript native JavaScript parcels will have to deal with angle brackets and then then we'll get JSX in the browser. <laughs> yeah. The we second, already did it. And yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Who knows though? I mean it, I think it we're we're pretty I, I think this is helpful. So um I'm into it as long as like it's optional and I can kind of use it. If that's, that's sort of the thing is like you start using TypeScript and all of a sudden it's just very mad at you all the time. So yeah. um, Think of the dance that has to happen. I mean, the spec dance that has to happen, the browser dance of implementation that has to happen, but then there's all this tooling built on it too. So all the parsers, all the linters, all the formatters, everybody has to start dealing with this syntax all of a sudden. It's going to be a, that's a, that's a big ass dance of people. So to pull this off would be a real freaking miracle, you know. You thought the picture element was hard. This is freaking this, hard. This is a backflip. I think if there's any positive side, it's that people want it, and JavaScript people tend to like to move a bit faster. So, so indeed, I could see it soaring through ECMA. Yeah, and there's big and people then, behind it. Yeah, yeah, soaring through ECMA, and then. 
I think on the bottleneck probably might be like getting it in Node. You know, I mean, it can go into V8 because Microsoft is using it, but like making sure Node supports it all, that's maybe a whole thing, you know. And then there's probably Ooh. some collision with actual TypeScript. So, yeah, who knows? So, you know, it's just, you know, because I've been working in, a, in my, my office here with, with, uh, Robert, who's a who's just a good developer for us at CodePen, has a long, interesting career. He, one of the things he works on is the UUID library for on NPM that is downloaded like twenty billion times a second. You know, <laughs> so wow. so useful, and he's involved in the you know the spec discussions around it and stuff. And it kind of lived through the. Now it's like in browsers. It's like web cryptography, essentially. You can ask for a UUID in the browser now. So that's pretty interesting. So we saw the spec come together on that and continue to evolve. But I mentioned Robert because in some conversations with him, you know, it, it made clear to me some distinctions that were less clear to me in the past, which is my own ignorance. But imagine like... I don't know, like the nulling coalescing operator or something in JavaScript. I'm sure I said that wrong, but something that feels fancy and new, like question mark, question mark, you know, that's a mm -hmm. weird one. Or oh, even yeah. stuff like spread and all that. That's like JavaScript, the language, which has, the, which is TC39 or whatever, which has its own standard process. But we, you know, if you're, all you ever do is write JavaScript in the browser, it feels like that gets confused with what are APIs of JavaScript. So, for example, if there's like some new string method, like string.double or something, you're like, that's also, I guess, kind of part of the language, but it doesn't really interfere with much. Like, that's a lot easier to get through because it's just some method on some existing thing and it doesn't just like influence the universe of JavaScript in the same way that like a new operator does. It's just mm -hmm. kind of a much bigger deal to consider. And then there's just like browser APIs. There's just like what's on the navigator object or something. Whereas JavaScript, like TC39, just doesn't care. It's just not involved in that at all. That's a totally different set of things, you know, like so the geolocation API or something, like totally irrelevant to JavaScript, the language. But it's just JavaScript. It feels like it, you know, and Babel helps with both of them sometimes, depending on what it's doing, you know. So I can see in, in a lot of developers' brain, you're like, I don't know, it's just JavaScript and new stuff comes down the JavaScript pipe. But it's kind of like multiple pipes feeding into that system. Right, there's a pipe, and then there's a big uh, sieve, <laughs> just like which a babble that just like fixes it all for you. Yeah, so you type the new stuff, and you don't even know you typed stuff that literally doesn't work anywhere. It just, you know, yeah, whatever. It just, it just went through the blurt blurt machine and spit out something that works. So, um, I was always surprised to see like you know you use the babble repl, and you'll just like use like you know, something like question mark dot, the, the, like, what did I call it? The hmm dot, the optional chaining, chaining, uh, optional chaining yeah. operator or whatever. Mm -hmm. And like, all of a sudden there's like all this, like if statements and symbol iterators and gar yeah, and you're just like, Whoa, I would have never typed the other thing. So I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad this exists. So. Man, that's, um, that's funny. It's 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 caused so many come. I wonder how many internal conflicts and conversations just the optional chaining has come up with. Like, we, it ends up getting talked about a lot at CodePen because we're like, 
literally every time it's used, it feels good on the front end because it's like, nice, I just saved this app from bombing out because I put a question mark there. But it's also saying our data is unreliable. I mean, don't Mm -hmm. make too much of that, but it's kind of saying that. It's saying, you know, so so it always brings up this like, why is that? You know, like every time you see a question mark period in a freaking PR, the, the work that should happen is that you trace back all the way to wherever that little piece of data could possibly come from. And it's kind of better if you can fix it from never being not there. If you can, you know? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I've been dealing with this thing. It's like, you know, it's that thing. It's like sometimes the, it's a number and sometimes it's a string or something, you know, and, and you're just like, golly, I can like parse it. That's just fine. But then, but if for some reason something doesn't exist, like whatever, a bad data call or something or a failed fetch or something, and I don't have data on this one record or something, you know, and, yeah. um, you know, I kind of want to just like bail out as easy as possible, you know, like, okay, if it doesn't have it, it's undefined, it's fine. Skip it, you know, it's but like, fine. Yeah. but it, it does prevent, present this thing it's like you know if you're like give me the child 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 prop you know and it doesn't happen and it doesn't come back as a number now you need to like your thing has to handle like number and undefined you know what i mean and so like uh i'm explaining it poorly but i've just ran into some situations lately where i'm just like having to just kind of jump through hoops to like whatever's coming back can be kind of a couple different shapes. Cause I'm trying to use this component in a couple different places. Like maybe sometimes oh, it's text, yeah. maybe sometimes it's a number. Um, and so that's, that's, I think the, it's like almost I'm, write it as an if statement then. So it's not a, so it's more like explicit what you're doing. Yeah. Like, like here's, here would be an example. Like sometimes it comes back as like a, whatever, 99%. And sometimes it's just the number 99, but I show the mm. stat in a big thing. And so like, I have to do work, right. To like smoosh this stuff out. And so it's just been, it's been an issue. It's, it's been, yeah. Um, so maybe types here, if I really embrace that, that would really save me. So, um, yeah, maybe it's, it's unfortunate that it's in two different ways. Honestly, one of these ghost scripts I'm writing right now is to fix a little bit of data on one of our tables that just so happens to have that issue, just a long historical issue. It's not that big of a deal. In fact, in your database, if you have sometimes it's a string that says four and sometimes it's an int that's four, mm-hmm. pff, Rails could care less. Rails is going to absolutely help you put that in whatever freaking format you want. It's the most helpful thing in the world. You pull that out in Go, it cares. It a super lot. cares, huh? Yeah, really? it will okay, just yeah. it will just panic and fail if the type is wrong. So now you're in this situation where you're like, okay, well, I can't say whether that it's an int because if it comes back as a string, it's an int. It's going to panic. So I have to, and Go, Go doesn't even really have generics either. So you have this really convoluted workaround of making it an interface and then kind of forcing it to be an int or string is this way. It's way more of a dance than you'd want it to be. And now your type isn't very helpful because your type is just this convoluted generic thing. So there's a lot of incentive to be like, mm, I'm, I'm going to fix that data in the DB so it cannot be wrong. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then if that data happens to be not just in a database table, which is probably already enforcing your type, it's kind of a strike against keeping JSON data in a DB because it's that's less typed. Like it's valid JSON either way. What if you if it's, if it's a string or an int in a piece of JSON, JSON doesn't care because JSON right. isn't typed. You know, JSON's just like. Dude, whatever you send me, I'm 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 just storing yeah, it. Yeah, as long as it's I'm valid, just a middleman. Yeah, I don't I don't care. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the problem we're dealing with too. Is sometimes it is that like um, you know, like input type equals number. What does it return, Chris? A number or a string? Ooh, good question. That's some that's some hot trivia stuff. The answer might surprise you. <laughs> so, oh you know well, I now mean? it's gonna be string, right? Or is you it string? It. You got to parse into it to get it off. Oh. <laughs> I think you do. I think you have to parse into it. But then it can also, if you set the step low enough, you know, it, it can be a float because it's it's a dot, you know. So I think oh, it just comes indeed, back as yeah. a string. So it's just because HTML is like, I do strings very well. I don't do the other stuff. So, you know. Um, right. And then it depends on what backend crap it's going through and what database it, it, it ends up in, you know. So it it does feel like, I mean, Feels like ninety percent of the job, right, is just massaging data into one form to get it out to another form to get it out to another. And right, it has really sucky tendrils. So there's a, I feel like a very strong incentive to not deal with it. Like if you see front end code that is coalescing some type into another type, it's code smell. It needs to have a big comment there that says important to do fix actual data. It's not a front-end job to be dinking with this data, you know? Mm-hmm. Because you're going to do it there, and then you're going to do it in the next component that you need it, and the next component you need it, and wherever. It just That's what I mean by the tendrils of it. I'm starting to have stronger opinions about this. In the past, I would you're have been like, oh, well, I don't opinion. care what the backend sends me. I'll just... I, I only have one skill, and it's accept data and turn it into UI, so I'll do whatever I need to do to do that. The more full stacky you get, the more you're like, no, that's bad news, you know. No, no, we're going to make that the right one. Yeah, mm. no, that's a great point. Like it's you, you were used to on the front end, just like whatever you send me, dude, I'll make it work, man. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're the the shaggies of the group. Hey, man, we'll all make it work. And if you have a middleman anyway, which is kind of like what I feel like your API could be, especially a GraphQL API, you can have this general philosophy that says, like, I'm going to do the work at the GraphQL layer in my app to to munge this correctly. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to send back something that the client has to think about. You know, an example of that is like URLs. We made this decision long ago that the client never has to, like, put together, you know, you're like, wow, I need to output the link to Dave's profile. So it needs to be codepen.io slash Davitron 5000. So you have the username in the data. So you could be like, oh, I will just craft together this URL. The string will be HTTP colon, you know, codepen.io plus username. Got it. You know, we mm-hmm. never do that. We never, ever do that. You re- return a field in the GraphQL. That's the profile URL, and then you use it. So you keep oh, all that logic yeah, yeah. stuff at the API level, which is nice for ever having to change anything. You're not doing concats. You're not, you're not concatting. Yeah, so. and that's just one example. It could be anything. You know, if you need a preformatted chunk of anything, 
do it at the mm-hmm. API level and then just use it. Man, I, that's inspiring. Actually, I should probably do that more. Uh, I, I did do a thing like it was, you know, we're like fetching data and you have like pages, right? Like in or on a posts, it's like WordPress posts. So it's like posts in, in, in the UI, you can like relate posts to different posts. Like I'm going to relate this post to this post and this yeah, post yeah. like a, or like a quote in a, in a, whatever, a gallery post or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then you can display them all together. Well, the way you like relate, you'd use like a has and belongs to many, like a two-way relation, has and belongs to many um, relation. And so you build this whole other table and you have an A column and a B column. And you say AID yep. is B and BID are related. So, but then sometimes it's, you know, ID equals two and ID equals three, but then you can also end up with ID equals three and ID equals two in the A, B columns. So like oh. you have like a double relation. And so I was just like, oh, cruds, <laughs> how do I do that? And then, but in that data layer that I'm using Prisma as my like intermediary, mm-hmm. you know, like in the API. So, but at the API layer, I, I just was like, you know, I'm going to sort these. <laughs> so like if, so it's always going to be two, three. And so it'll, if it says just like, sort oh, two, it before three, you put exists, it in, sort it before you put it in, it's really weak. But what happens is now in my response, I have like a related lower and a related higher, you know? And so then I have to smash those together and be like, these are just relations. And so I return the relations in the response and the user interface never even knows about related lower or related higher. That's only a database issue. So I can yeah, move that's that the right out place of for the that. front end. So yeah. it took me. So an alternative loops. would be to go fix it in the database and then not, not munge it ever. You know, just run. Right, right. And I think you can like there's like indexes or whatever I can do in Postgres to make that never happen. But, you know, that's like now I'm doing database operation. So that's not fun. Right. It's technical debt one way or the other, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe I can do it in the database one day and then rip out my code later. But I'll still need that step of like like yoinking out or whatever, maybe like merging two different things or something. So anyway, it's all very interesting. So <laughs> Yeah. Where do you make your data safe? At the DB level? At the pull it out of the DB level? At the API level? At the client level? You got lots of choices, man. And the deeper you go, the better, probably, generally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I like, I just, I don't know. The the less your front end has to do seems like, seems like a um, old advice that we kind of dipped away from, right? <laughs> like, make your front end do as least possible. Uh, we kind of were like, yeah, 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 but I'm really going to put a lot of JavaScript in here. So, <laughs> Uh, but I think, feel like we're finally like, okay, let's move away from that just a smidge and use the server. So um, that's an exciting thing. Just now, just that the server is kind of becoming the thing. So anyway, I think we talked about it in the last show, but yeah, it's just, yeah, it turns out, it turns out servers are useful. <laughs> well, cool. Um, we should wrap it up. My dog was ready to go. She just shook. Um, so did you come up on Mike? I, th- I hope so. Chris it did a little bit. Uh, all right. She's, there it is. So she's ready to go. So we're going to wrap it up. Uh, thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcast. Be sure to share our show for us on Twitter for 16 tweets a month. And uh, we got YouTube's over at youtube.com slash shop talk show. Join us in the Discord, patreon.com slash shop talk show. Chris, you got anything else you'd like to say? Mm, shop talk show.com. <laughs>